Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So unless you've been our friend during the tumultuous formative years of our childhoods, our conversations might actually feel a little bit overwhelming. Just a bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Maybe. So we thought it would be nice to introduce ourselves a little bit too, so you understand what this podcast is for and who the two of us are. So keeping in theme with it being a media podcast, today we're talking about the characters that shaped us so from our childhoods up to now. And these are the characters that people always thought that we were, the characters we wanted to be, and the characters we think that we actually are. So when you're coming of age, as you know, the films call it, you often look for your identity in different places, I think. And media is definitely one of them. Like you would look for characters that you like or relate to in some way as soon as you start consuming media. But sometimes how you perceive yourself is different from how other people perceive you. People assume you like certain characters or you're like certain characters, even if you're not. I think growing up, I had a lot of people throw random character names at me because for some reason, I seemed to remind them of those characters. I got called different names, different characters, but it was always very strange to me because very rarely did I ever identify or resonate with any of the ones that they seemed to associate me with. Right. It's all kind of a face value thing too. But I guess it's also a conversation starter. Like maybe family members like random titos and titas who are trying to relate to you are the ones that start that conversation or maybe peers that you're not yet that close to. So they would say, oh, you remind me of this and that. And, you know, you're kind of like, okay, cool, but also kind of confused. So who was the weirdest character that people thought you were? Well, actually, I don't think I got a lot of weird characters per se. A lot of the ones that I got touted as as a kid were based on my hair. So it's more of a weird reason than a weird character. Like as a young kid, I had big, poofy, untamable hair that I tried to tame but could not. People would then say that they're reminded of Hermione or Kim Possible. Because these characters, you know, part of their imagery is their hair. Around prep, I had a very strange haircut. Everyone was very like Dora the Explorer at me. And generally, I think it was just because I was like a relatively inquisitive child. And also that, you know, because I grew up on classic Nick, I was speaking very good English. To be fair, I think I was speaking better English than Filipino at that point. Because of that, I, they were just like, oh, it's so Dorothy Explorer or whatever. And it was just like, please stop. Why? Why, why is this a thing? But the coconut kind of hair is a classic kid haircut too. So I think a lot of people were like you and were called Dora at some point. But then that also makes me question why hair is such a big thing to comment on with kids. Like... Couldn't young Emma Watson and I have our untamable hair in peace? But I guess, you know, both film Hermione and I have gotten over our hair 
frizz. So maybe it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, but actually, I think the character that I was touted as the most would be Hermione Granger. Growing up, I was kind of like boxed very neatly into like the gifted child image. Oh my god, there are collective screams from the internet because they can relate. No, for sure. It was just, I wasn't like overly traumatized by it. But aside from maybe being smart, I didn't feel like there was anything at all within my personality that fit Hermione's. Hermione never resonated with me as much as like a lot of people seem to think it did. I think a part of it is because to the general public, they only really know the Golden Trio. So they kind of assume that every girl that reads Harry Potter loves Hermione. Okay, yeah, that is true. Casual fans will look at Harry Potter fans and try to see where they fit in Harry, Ron, Hermione. And those are the only options. Do you remember any other female character that was as big as Hermione around that time? Because I was trying to think of someone... Probably not. But that's I, I would chalk it up to the fact that I don't think anything was as big as Harry Potter. Okay, that's fair. It did dominate a lot of popular culture at the time. Which is probably also a reason why a lot of little girls who read books and kind of did well in school were labeled Hermione Grangers of the time. For me though, because I didn't read the Harry Potter series early on, I wasn't really impacted by Hermione in that way. And sure, I was kind of bookish, but I didn't think much of the comparisons. Instead, a lot of the characters people related to me were TV characters because I was, and I still am actually, a big TV kid. And I wasn't really shy about my interests either. So the people that people associated with me were characters that I like in the media I like. And I, at some point probably role-played somehow. So I guess I can't really blame people when they associate certain characters with me. Fair, yeah. But I knew on some level that I didn't think of them as characters that I related to. It was more of the concept of who they were, if that makes sense. One that I still get teased about to this day by friends is um, Lizzie McGuire. And I was trying to think about it, and I realized I actually don't remember much of the series itself. But the movie I was absolutely obsessed with. And I can recite to you the words from scenes and sing the soundtrack, as in from what dreams are made of to like atomic kittens, the tide is high, like I know it all. But yeah, I think I sang a Hilary Duff song in school at some point. And I also used to force my sister to act out the big performance sequence of the film with me. Like I would dress up the two of us with blankets or actual dresses, whatever was available that night. And she'd be Lizzie and I'd be Isabella. So you can tell how interested I was in this film. Like this was a film that I loved. To be fair, I think it was a popular movie for people of our age group at the time. So I think most of us have tried acting that scene out at least once in our lives. But it's definitely interesting how people tend to kind of box you into a character 
just because they know that you're interested in the show. Right? Exactly, because I don't think I related to Lizzie actually. I mean, I wanted to be Isabella, Clea. Like, I would force my sister to be Lizzie so that I could be the pop star. So clearly, like, Lizzie McGuire, the character, was not it for me. I feel like it's a, what's it called? It's a common conclusion that if I were maybe like a 30-plus tito or tita, and then I see that like this little kid is interested in some show or some like piece of media, my brain automatically assumes that she likes the main character. That's very true. And you already know this, but I rarely, rarely like main characters. Yeah, and I think that that's a trait that we definitely share with each other. Um, I think main characters can be cool and everything. But if you give me a well-rounded, well-developed side character with their own narrative arc, I will just adore them beyond words. Speaking of side characters, in third grade, my interest shifted to Encantadia, which is a show from GMA. It's fantasy, teleserie type thing. And my group of friends at that time consisted of people who I role-played the show with. So we each had our own character to play because it was a role-play thing. Maybe I just have theater kid tendencies. But anyway, so my character was Elena and her element was water. And they gave me Elena because the character sings to use her power. And I used to sing a lot in school at that time for some reason. And, you know, people thought I was good for some reason. But clearly, that's not the talent that I carried over to adulthood. So I had no similarities with Elena apart from that. But the funny thing was, because it was a role-play thing, and all of my close friends were in this group of people that I did this with, I became dedicated to embodying this character. Like, I bought so many green jewelry, rings, bracelets, what have you. That was the color of her brillante or whatever. And I also wore a lot of green skirts and dresses because I was trying to be her. That happens in some capacity, like for me and Hermione, just going back very quickly. It's just like when enough people tell you that you're like this character, you kind of want to prove that you are. You try and like live out certain traits or like pick up certain mannerisms. And you're, you're kind of a kid. You're young, impressionable. You don't really think about what that means for your identity. So, you know, you're like, okay, people are telling me that I'm very Hermione or like I'm very Lizzie McGuire or whatever. Okay, let me try and be that. And then it's only like a little while later where you're like, huh, that made no sense. Yeah, you're right. Because at this time, everything is very surface level and you're just, starting to discover what you like, who you are, all that stuff. So it's trial and error. But when you became a little bit more conscious of who you wanted to be like, who are the characters that come to mind? I feel like there were never any specific characters that I wanted to be them 100%. It was more of like, uh, there were parts of different characters that I admired and wanted to sort of like emulate. Sometime around like 11 to like 13, 14 years old was like really where I was starting to find like characters that were interesting to me and characters that were sort of, I didn't necessarily relate to them 
much, but I felt like they were the kinds of characters that I wanted to be like as I was sort of finding my footing in the world. One of them is Toph Beifong from um, Avatar The Last Airbender, which I maintain is like the best TV show. I just remember the episode that like introduces Toph and I always thought she was so cool. She was always so composed and she was always so like creative. But also it was clear from the start that people underestimated her quite a bit. Um, people thought she needed to be taken care of and people thought that like, you know, she couldn't do a whole lot of things because of like a handicap and her entire arc. It resonated in a very interesting way to show children how there is like a strength in your perceived weaknesses. And I found that really empowering as a kid. And that's why I really, really wanted to be like Toph. What I also found compelling about Toph was that, yes, other people perceived her handicap as a weakness, but she never personally thought of it that way. And to have someone with that mindset and be so self-assured at such a young age is so great. It's major. The fact that the show explored it as a way for her to actually get better at her bending was such a big thing to me. It was so interesting to me, genuinely, how the show spun that entire thing where, okay, you had like parents and guardians and whatever who thought that, you know, oh, because you were blind, you had to be taken care of like very heavily to the point that you don't have to do anything ever. But then to have the show and to have her just kind of do that as a, nope, I don't need anyone to take care of me and like being blind has actually helped me get better at what I do was such a big thing. It, I feel like it helped the confidence of so many kids also who had like something that they needed to get over, whether that was like a specific handicap or just even like shyness or like a stutter or something like that. Now I kind of want to cry thinking about the people who probably looked up to Taf and had her, you know, inspire them in that way so that they can say, I can do this and I'm capable of anything. Oh my God. Taf Fong is an inspiration at any age. It was also very special that she knew that she was the greatest earthbender of all time, but she was very cool with other people not knowing that. To her, it was just, you know, earthbending was a skill, it was a craft, it was a way with which she saw the world. But, you know, she didn't have to be labeled as the greatest of anything. Truly. And that's why she's a well-deserved fan favorite. Going off of Avatar, another character that I love and wanted to be like in that universe was Suki. I love Suki. In general, I love female warriors. And I love powerful women that don't have to subscribe to that binary of masculine and feminine and instead they're just themselves like wherever they may fall on that spectrum which is so important to me because when you're younger the binary is so prevalent like a lot of adults will try to impose that on you and you always feel like you have to choose I think the reason why she's also like a very strong fan favorite is because um her character was able to show the strength in femininity with the idea of the Kyoshi warriors in general it was just they wore their armor was were dresses and they used fans and they had makeup on and like that was totally fine because they could still 
kick your butt if you know you tried to cross them and she makes sure that everyone else especially other men um <coughs> saka understood that too and in that sense she reminds me of another set of characters that i really like uh the halliwell sisters from charmed they are also super powerful and they're super badass they're literally like the most powerful witches but they also celebrate their femininity and they're happy to put men in their place when they don't understand that they can fight you in heels and or a dress shifting gears a little bit but keeping in the same vein of the concept of you know badass warrior women another character that i wanted to be like and wanted to emulate so badly was Zoe Nightshade from the Percy Jackson series. Now, Zoe Nightshade is just the most amazing character that I have ever had the privilege to read about. You could give me like 17 books about her and I would buy and read them all. She was she was a side character. She was around for maybe half of a book at most, but she just barreled into the story and stole everyone's hearts. Um, she had an amazing arc for how short it was, I think. And it was so important to me to see such a strong, independent, complex female character who was also feminine and compassionate. Because I think it showed girls that they didn't have to choose to be one or the other. Like, they were allowed to be feminine and masculine, to be hard and compassionate. It wasn't an either-or. And also, much like the Kiyoshi Warriors, I was obsessed with the Hunters of Artemis for a very long time because of Miss Zoe Nightshade. Like, women who band together and live in harmony, who don't care about men, where do I sign up? And I cannot tell you how great it was to have a character not be preoccupied with romance and actually prides herself in that choice too. For anyone listening that we aren't able to talk to all that often, I just kind of want to make it clear that we're big shippers. Like, we appreciate relationships and we like romance and all of that. But, like, these feelingsy things, they were just never something that we were particularly preoccupied with ourselves, especially at that time. Right! And everything else I was reading, watching, what have you, was so preoccupied with romance so you know it was just nice and refreshing to have a character like that yeah it was so refreshing to me because like aside from the fact that this is just an an amazing female character who you could admire in all sorts of ways to just have characters who were very blatantly like oh we don't care for romance that's just not something we do that was such an important message to you know send to a lot of people who maybe weren't like thinking about romance or who weren't getting crushes and that was just like that was so important to me i read percy jackson around seventh grade so you know hormones and there was definitely some pressure to like someone i like i did feel that pressure when i didn't like anyone same hard same and honestly i feel like A lot of people still have this idea that crushes and romantic feelings are such a necessity when you're growing up. Yeah, and I mean, even as an adult, but that's a whole different discussion. The bottom line is that 
we love Zoe and the Hunters of Artemis. They really said, you know what? That is not my life's purpose. And that's okay. Absolutely. So I definitely think Zoe was instrumental in my understanding of myself. She's definitely a character that shaped me in the sense that I felt a lot more comfortable embracing the fact that I didn't really care about relationships at that time. And yeah, and again, like what I said, at this age, hormones, everything around you, friends and the media, they start to revolve around the romantic aspect of love, which isn't to say that it's a bad thing or that I automatically hated things that were about that because You know, this other character I love was very preoccupied with relationships. So I watched and powered through the wonderful trashy mess that was Gossip Girl. Thanks in part to my mom who made me watch it as a preteen and also finished it with me. I am aware that makes me basic, but I am not afraid to say so. And like any basic viewer of Gossip Girl... Blair Waldorf was my girl. What I loved about Blair was not that she was a fashion icon. She was smart and she was ambitious. And I had the thing for characters that people would assume are dumb, but are actually incredibly intelligent. But honestly, I think the biggest thing she contributed as a character to me as a person was her impeccable taste. There are so many things that I discovered because I heard her talk about it on the show. That goes from like literature to art to fashion. Like I read Anna Karenina because she said it once and it stuck with me and I was curious and it eventually became one of my favorite classic novels. I actually discovered a lot of good music from Gossip Girl that I still listen to now. That's very true. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize how much influence a character's influences can also have on the viewer. Like, as a young viewer, so much of these characters shape you in some capacity. And that's not to go so far as to say that it affects your personality. But when you have a character that is written as having good taste... Then you get to learn about so many different books, movies, even like worldviews. And there's so much you can pick out from a character. It's really such an interesting thing to think about. So we've covered characters that people thought we were and characters that we wanted to be like. But now that we have sort of the mental faculties to think about it now, Do you think that there were any characters that were introduced and then you said like, oh, this is me in fictional format? Honestly, for me, this works more in hindsight. I can't really think of one character that I pinpointed that I felt like was me 100%. One that comes close is Tomoyo from Cardcaptor. Sakura. And I did not realize this when I was watching it as a young girl, but because I'm slowly re-watching it with my 11-year-old brother, I'm introducing it to him because he likes it too. It made me laugh when I realized I actually accidentally 
grew up to be tomoyo. She likes pretty things, pretty dresses, and dresses up with her best friend. She takes pictures and films people. She's very loyal, um, perceptive, accepting, optimistic, you know, and these are traits that I am happy to say that I have. But yeah, I guess it's just funny that I really did not realize it until I started rewatching it. I think similarly, I was never really able to pinpoint an exact moment where I knew that this character was exactly like me. This thing, like these kinds of things, I realized much later. But going back, I remember reading and watching the Harry Potter series and having, you know, everyone call me Hermione. But in reality, I was never able to fully relate to a Harry Potter character until Luna Lovegood was introduced. Luna is an incredible character, and I can't say that I am her like 100%, but I think there were just so many differences in who she was versus who Hermione was, and those were differences that really mattered to me. Luna was a smart person, she was a Ravenclaw, but that was never really something that she uses to define herself. She was inquisitive, she liked exploring, she liked seeing the world through different lenses. And, you know, she was strange. People thought she was strange. And that was totally fine with her. Um, and I think it's those differences with Hermione's character, no matter how small they were. Those were the differences that, in hindsight, I realized I was looking for in Hermione. And that was why I could never fully relate to her. Luna was also such a kind character, despite the way she was kind of ostracized for being strange. Growing up, I struggled with kind of finding a balance between being kind and considerate and being tough. And sometimes I felt like kindness was treated like a weakness. So kind characters resonate with me a lot more. And that's what I love about Luna. And that's what I love about another all-time favorite, Uncle Iroh. Honestly, I do think I am similar to Uncle Iroh the most, despite not being as self-actualized as he is. I often call my life right now as being in my Uncle Iroh arc, in that after significant setbacks, I am now trying to live my life and enjoy life and do it with kindness and wisdom and also lots and lots and lots of tea. And obviously, Uncle Iroh is universally loved and liked and adored. And I'm not saying that I am the same at all or that I deserve the same thing. Like, that's not my point. I just think that we have the same values and I hope to kind of continue in the same journey and path the thing that I love about Uncle Iroh is just how much he doesn't let his past define his present or his future. It's a classic case of a character having, you know, having one life and then realizing that this wasn't the life he wanted. And then, you know, actively taking steps to not just change 
his life, but also to change the course of like the lives of the kids who need direction. It's so nice, honestly, to just have like a wholesome male figure that isn't really tra- that isn't out to prove his maleness or who isn't out to prove anything. Honestly, he was just living his life and just doing his best, and that is exactly what Uncle Iroh brings to the table. And honestly, it's also what this character that I think I'm very much like brings to the table, and that is Percy Jackson. I just feel like I grew up to be so much like Percy and that he was just a very unassuming, chill person. He was just a dude trying his best. He is this little boy who, you know, was thrown into increasingly stressful and dramatic situations by like the higher ups in his life. And he was just, you know, slogging through and trying his best. And at the end of it, he was just tired and honestly same. So (laughs) it's just, you know, he had been dealt a very strange hand. And he, like, he manages to kind of just go through it, just do his best and figure out how, you know, how to live his life with the cards that he's dealt. And he understands that, like, okay, this is the life I'm living. And you know, nothing's going to happen if I don't make anything happen. So I'm just going to try and do what I need to do. You know what? I think it's telling that the characters we consider as the ones we have grown to be are characters that are just living their best life. Yeah, because let's be fair, I think that's really all that any of us want for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Especially as 20-somethings in an increasingly unpredictable and unstable world, it shows how much we've grown to value what we do with our lives and who we want to be because we went through a lot of growing pains to get to this phase of our lives where we feel we're more like Uncle Iroh and Percy Jackson. This entire discussion, you know, even though it's just us talking about ourselves And talking about how great Avatar The Last Airbender is, I think it has some merit because I think it's fun to get to reflect on characters that we love and appreciate. We come across so many great characters and stories in our lives and looking back on them and reflecting on them, I think allows us to trace our growth from childhood to adulthood. It helps us see how our understanding of ourselves and the world has changed. We probably would not be the same people that we are today if we did not see the likes of Luna and Suki and Zoe who have shaped us as people and have shaped our worldview. It's obviously great to have characters like these, to have complex and interesting characters and to appreciate good storytelling with the media that you consume. But if there is like a singular moral to this podcast episode, it's really just that good stories should be shown to children. Kids learn so much from the media that they consume and showing them different aspects of the world, different ideas, different worldviews as children, that's just going to allow them to learn more about themselves and the world in a very well-balanced way, I would say. 
And they would understand too that you're allowed to be complex and to contain multitudes. As well as the idea that you don't exist in a vacuum. And that aside from being a complex person, you also live in a complex society. And, you know, how you interact with the world also impacts the world in some capacity. And on that note, thank you so much for spending time with us. We hope that you continue to find wonderful, amazing characters to love and grow with. And we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts about the characters we discussed and your own favorite characters. What do you love about them? How did they influence you? All that great stuff. Continue the conversation with us over at Twitter at InMediusMess. And we will talk to you guys next time.